0: And you were the first person we thought of to be the singer of link 80 and like even even now even now in hindsight when like you know ska and punk has you know slipped into the background for most people some some people are obviously still doing it with with uh passion which is great i'm happy for those people but um to be offered that position was just an absolutely just mind-bending opportunity
1: Ryan Noble how the hell are you sir
0: good brother what's going on good to see Um, you Andy dude it is excellent to see you
1: Ryan fucking Noble Ryan Admiral Predator Batman Chuck Norris Noble The third Esquire PhD. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyone who does not know who this wonderful gentleman is, this is Ryan Noble, who many of you may know of from the various bands he's been in over the years. He's a dear friend of mine. I've known you for God going on like 25 years, like Mm -hmm. around 25 years. Um, Let's see, let's go down the list. You've been a member of the blast bandits who Mm -hmm. that's how I met you, uh, which turned into OFS which, uh, led you to joining link 80 mm-hmm. and then Dessa and yeah. the soft white sixties. And right. you also had a, a obscure project called the Cleveland Browns for a little while. That's right. mm-hmm. Um, and then I know you have some solo material that you've done under your own name. Um, yeah. are there any other projects that I'm missing?
0: Um, well that, you know, I've, um, I've jumped on with a couple other bands at different times, like, um, uh like I jumped I played a couple like I think I played i played a couple shows with Dave Smallin from uh Streets of Nowhere back in the day but you know that was like very very brief but it does it does go into the archive (laughs) um right I've uh recently been playing playing bass with um a buddy of mine and actually a really brilliant art uh artist by the name of Evan Mile Hmm. um uh, he's a buddy of mine that moved down to LA not too long ago. And uh, I just am i I'm a, I'm a fan of his work independently. We, we also happen to be buddies too, but um, I've been playing with him a little bit. i played a few, few shows with him. Um, then the uh, Titanic sank and now we haven't played any shows in a while. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, I had a little, a little solo project called the moment. It was way back in the day but it was basically um, me making beats on a little Casio keyboard into a four track tape machine. Uh, Very obscure. Very few of you will remember that. But um, yeah. And then, you know, I've been writing songs all my, the, the whole time, since even before the blast bandits, there was this really, you know, short, short lived, but very fun band called last of none. That was, um, just here for here for a hot second, but I did learn some tricks of the trade, you know, like the first band where I ever had to go to a band practice and so so forth. But um, but uh, so long story short, I've been writing songs all my life, pretty much, and um, so only very recently have I started to release that that stuff. There's um, been a few a few things out. I think I put out I put out a song on the Save Map compilation. Um, which was a very obscure fundraising project that we did in Rippin. But I recently released a song uh, called Safe from the Noise of the World that was uh, kind of sort of pandemic-inspired, but not exclusively that. But um, yeah, I have a whole bunch of music that is unreleased. Um, A lot of my closer friends and family have heard some of it. Um, and I'm looking forward to starting to release some of that pretty soon here.
1: That's great. I, I really love that track that you yeah. released. I mean, I, I, I was like, man, like you should release this like immediately. And I'm, I'm so glad <laughs> that you are starting to do that. Cause you know, so, you know, so you and I have known each other, like I said, for like 25 years, we played it yeah. in, a, in a couple bands over the years. And then after that played shows together in the various bands that we'd been in post um. And, uh, you know, I've just, I don't know, I've always admired your creative output. I I think that you're a wonderful lyricist. Um, I'd like to kind of touch on that a little bit today and kind of dig into your, like, inspiration for, and and like your your methodology around, like, writing lyrics. Um, And, uh, yeah, I kind of want to dig into a little bit of, like, the history that you have with some of the bands that you've been in over the years. Um, And then, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got a couple of questions that we'll ask towards the end that I, you know, throw out to everyone. But... Uh, but yeah, man. So, you know, people who don't know who the Blast Bandits are, uh, the Blast Bandits was like a ska punk band out of Ripon, California, which is kind of nestled right north of Modesto, which is probably much more well known. Um, but that's how I met you. And, you know, being in a, a ska band back then was kind of the the new thing, like the new wild kind of crazy adventure. Because around... Go ahead. Yeah.
2: I
0: was going to say uh, it, it felt pretty edgy at the time because, uh, you know, we we, we we might have gotten like wafts of like the specials and the scatolites and things like that. But like ska as a thing that we could do or like ska as like a kind of high energy like style, it's just was new to us at the time. Like the hybridization of like punk and ska, which, right. you know, of course, like, you know, Operation Ivy sort of. I think wrote the book as far as i'm concerned the, you know that's what we were pursuing but right I
1: well i remember being introduced to you through a mutual friend of ours carly and you know when, yeah. I, when i saw you guys perform i was i was like dude this band is dope i'd love to be a part of this you know because you know i i was in a band uh that you know you know like the guys in the porn cops and everything oh yeah so i was i was doing both at the same time but having the opportunity to jump on and like be one of your guys's horn players i was like dude i I, ha- I i'm going to do this this is great and it was it was awesome to be able to be brought into that fold um and you know eventually that that evolved over time and you know ended up you know bringing in uh switching into bass and whatnot and then you know you took over on vocals after a little while but um but yeah like that that band was like a, i mean it's it's a near and dear band to me and i, I you know I, I think any band that you hold that you do like in your youth, like always hold a special place is like the starting point um, kind oh, of no. launch you into bigger and better things. And, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time on the Blast Bandits, but uh, what I think is really kind of a, a big deal is that the relationship that the band had with a band like Link 80 led to you being able to then venture to become the new singer for this band that, like, I mean, was miles ahead of the Blast Bandits in terms of, you know, notoriety and you know exposure and where they were going <laughs> yeah. I'd love to kind of you know kind of recall what that experience was like you know yeah. like going from you know this little bit more of, a, an, of an, an obscure band mm-hmm. uh to something that was like wow like going like 100 miles an hour
0: you know yeah yeah um I can't say I can't overstate how how grateful I am for the experience of the Blast Bandits because um, it did literally pave pave the way for everything that was to come for me and you know a lot of the things that led to me being in that position were not good things you know um, kind of starting with um, starting with the like drama within the Blast Bandits and you know we were you know to be honest like we were living our best lives when we were in the blast bandits, like those, those years were just so uplifting. And they, I think they gave, they for sure gave me, and I know they did for James and those other guys, like all of us, so much confidence we were kind of dorks at school. And it was like, you know, all of a sudden we had like the football team, like coming to see like guys from the football team coming to see us perform. And like, kind of like cholo gangster kids coming to see us play and it was you know it it did it did something for our personal confidence first off but then you know it we we were high school age kids so drama naturally is going to ensue we all had like our own kind of egos and so those kind of personal conflicts started breaking the breaking that awesome ride up and you know turning the that sort of like perfect running machine into a crumbling machine. But we sort of put the pieces back together. Um, You know, I took over singing basically kind of out of default, because we had like, we had shows coming up. And um, and that, um, so this is where it starts to get interesting is because we had made connections with Link 80 through, you know, getting the tape somehow to Carly and Vicky. um, Our little first demo tape. I don't know if it was you or I, I don't remember how it got to them, but somehow some, somebody that, you know, it might've been like, anyways, I can't recall in this moment, but the tape got to Carly and Vicky, which then got the tape into the hands of the kids in link 80 who in my mind, they were not kids at the time. They were like men as far as I was concerned, <laughs> older than me um, or ish. But um, we got a, we got a call from Nick Trana from the um, original singer of link 80. He left a, he left a message with buddy's mom, Linda and said, Hey, this is, this is Nick from link 80. I'd love to like get you guys on a show. We're going to be playing the Borderland warehouse in Sonora. And we were out, you know, fucking off. Who who knows what we were doing? We were probably getting fried ice cream at La Moranita or something. I have no, I have no idea. But we got back, and I I do recall, you know, Linda casually. She was like doing the dishes. And she was like, "Yeah, uh, some 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 guy named Nick eighty called, and he said, you know, do you want to do a show with them." And Buddy and I were like, "What did you just say?" Like we were fans of the band. We had like independently gone to watch link 80 play they were one of our favorite bands like hardcore with horns it was you know um so badass at the at the time it, it was like nobody's really doing that that you know there there were some heavier bands but link 80 just kind of had their own steeze and it had their own thing going um we were very big fans anyway so we played the show with link 80 and there are photos of this which some of which are in the I think in the liner photos and the blast bandits record, Mm -hmm. but the guys from link 80 at the board, we played a show with them at borderline warehouse. Shout out, Mark, if you're still around. Um, but they were like singing along and dancing in the crowd. We were the opening band. We were like 16, 15. I really don't remember. We were young shrimps, but the guys from link 80 supported us and it was really, really cool. And we, you know, were devastated by the news of Nick's passing. That was, um, you know, not too long after that. Um, we, we, we actually found out that the, the night that, um, the, the night that we found out about Nick's uh, tragic passing, we were playing a show at uh, Teas and Greens. And somebody had picked up the information in a pre-internet world, who knows how it got, probably from Vicky and Carly, I would imagine. Um, but we got news of it before the show. And yeah, I remember, I like,
1: remember how commiserating. Got, yeah, I I'm, I can't recall either who like who got the
0: information to us. But yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: How
0: how how did information disseminate in 1997? I have no idea. <laughs> Telephone, I suppose. Yeah, carrier um, or something. But word, yeah, word of mouth. But um, you know, obviously, like, devastated. That was just such a you know like a kid plucked out in his prime. And, um, you know, he, I think by by that point he had moved on from link 80 and he was doing knowledge. Right. Uh, so I don't know that that wasn't going too well. I found out much later, but then, you know, link 80 had hired Stoney to sing. Right. And, uh, we linked up with them after that too. We, I remember going to see them play at the fatty Mocha, uh, RIP, which was in, merced and uh, shout out darren if you're still around i don't know if you're still here or not um, i hope so <laughs> yeah he was a he was a solid guy but um but i remember going to see link 80 there and sort of like rekindling that connection and you know saying what's up to joey and aaron and like they were just they were cool as fuck to us we were that you know they actually had like tattoos <laughs> it was like you know <laughs> we were children we were yeah. we were we were uh, uh, ostensibly we were kids you know so they were just cool as fuck and then when the tribute show came around we got this astonishing news that they they were throwing a tribute show for Nick Trena, uh at Slim's in San Francisco and they wanted to have all of his favorite local bands play on the bill and they asked for the Blast Bandits to play that just absolutely off the charts at the time for for us to play at Slim's we had been to Slim's multiple times to see Vandals and MXPX and Suicide Machines and Telegraph slash The Scholars and, you know, all these great, great bands. We'd seen like Save Ferris and et cetera, et cetera. People who were around at this time know all the bands we're talking know all the bands I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but to play that show was a huge, huge deal. Stoney was singing for Link 80 at the time. I had recently taken over the helm as the singer of Link 80, sorry, as the singer of the Blast Bandits. We might've played two or three shows. I can't remember. Before that, it was very new to me to be the front person. I was essentially the guitar player in the Blast Bandits. So that show, I know, um, because I was uh, pretty good buddies at the time actually with my friend, Steve Borth, Uh, shout out Steve, who was formerly in the great band, Less And um, they had just come back from a Europe tour when we were like loading into Slims. And I remember just like, man, how cool is that? Like they have been traveling around Europe. Like these guys are road worn, like pros, you know? And we had been playing like teen centers and like pizza parlors and l- literally like Subways, like Subway sandwiches. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so it, it, it was just, it was um, one, of the, one of the great experiences of my, my life playing that tribute show. And you know, you were there, you, you know how, how it was. It was just, it was big and it was special and it was emotional and uh, it was ultimately beautiful. And just, it was an awesome thing to be a part of. Um, and then shortly after that, I believe we moved on into the OFS territory. Played some great some great shows back in the day. God, I remember playing with the Mad Caddies, playing with like a sort of jelly beans. That might have been blast blast bandits, but I Voodoo glow skulls. Just um, anyways, uh, OFS. Um, I think we wrote some really good good stuff, and you know, the the band was un, unsigned and relegated to the to a margin in the history books now. But I think we I think we had some pretty cool shit going on. Um, Um, but I was at the time um, doing OFS and I got a random call at my house uh, from Aaron Nagel. And he said, you know, we are getting rid of Stoney as the singer of Link 80. We just haven't really jived with him. We don't really like how it's going. You know, we love him, but we're just ready to move on to somebody better. And you were the first person we thought of to be the singer of Link 80. And like, even, even now, even now in hindsight, when like, you know, ska and punk has, you know, slipped into the background for most people. Some, some people are obviously still doing it with, with uh, passion, which is great. I'm happy for those people, but um, to be offered that position was just an absolutely just mind bending opportunity that, you know, I was, enrolling to go to college in Santa Cruz. Um, uh, my, my ex Heidi was going there at the time and I was going to, you know, move in with her and we, this whole thing was getting ready to get my Santa Cruz life was about to start. And I had to back out on all of it because I just thought it was, you know, that kind of train just doesn't, doesn't come for most people. Um, And so I had to take the opportunity and Aaron said, you know, well, you're, you don't have the job yet. You have to come out and try out. So I remember taking, you know, trips out to West Oakland. Uh, They were practicing at Soundwave studios. Um, And I, you know, rushed through and learned the songs and tried to do my best Nick Traina impersonations, you know, obviously I know that I, it, could never be, it could never be that, you know, I, I I had to do my best because, you know, Nick was a very, you know, I, as I came to learn later through, you know, talking with his close friends in Link 80, he was a complicated guy, very like emotional, very talented, lots of, you know, a a very fortunate person in one sense to be from a very, you know, well-to-do family and, you know, a lot of opportunity presented itself and that helped, link 80 get where they were without question um but then also the baggage that comes along with that of you know being um you know having like manic depression issues and uh just you know just the drama of being a young person period you know and uh you know he sadly succumbed to it but um so in In short, it was, you know, not, not all good things that led to me being there, but I'm really, really grateful that, um, I got to do it. It it was a, it was a a life-changing experience to say the very least being in Link 80. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, I,
1: I remember at the time feeling really excited for you because, you know, here, here we are in this band that is, is, doing our best to try to like you said write good songs and something that we could feel really proud of doing and trying to grow as a band Mm -hmm. and I mean I I remember we we had ambitions to try to turn that band into something bigger than what it was Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember if at the time if if because you were then going to be going to school if if we had plans to like dissolve it formally or not Um, I don't think we were but but then, you know, you had this opportunity come your way and we're like, dude, you should do this. Like, yes, do it. You <laughs> know, And we were really stoked when it happened because here we go, dude. One of our best fucking friends and super talented, well-deserving guy has this great opportunity to go and travel the world, you know, and play in a band that we all collectively held in such high regard. And sure. I wanted to ask you on that note, like mm-hmm. I mean, because I remember you telling us some of these stories of like some of the places that you were playing, like Buh, you know, like playing. <laughs>
2: <like,
1: laughs> we played in Buh, Buh. But um, <laughs> like, if there was any particular, like, maybe like, if if you could find uh, a particular story that st- stood out as like, like this was like a a perfect example of like a crazy tour night.
0: Um, yeah, gosh, that is a, you know, that's, that's a, that's a hard one as any, as any artist that's toured a lot will tell you. It's hard to sort of like, you know, through the, like the hot, the, the hodgepodge of the whole story to like pull things out. But, um, there are some, you know, some experiences I do really remember fondly. Um, um, like one in particular was my, my first show with Link 80 was at a place called Jerry's Pizza. Mm. Uh, which is either in Fresno or Bakersfield. I can't remember. I believe it's in Bakersfield. Bakersfield, sure, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But um, that was a crazy one. Is we uh, it was my the first tour I went on, the first show I played with them. It was we were opening for uh, the band Homegrown. Mm. And I remember being just horrified to even face the crowd. And Joey, Joey still gives me shit about it to this day. Shout out Joey Bustos. He's you know lucky enough to have been you know, uh, really good buddies with Joey for lots of years now too. I love that guy. But he, I remember I couldn't face the crowd and I was sort of like using that like punk singer trick of turning your back as like a tough, mysterious thing, but it was really a chicken shit thing. And I remember Joey knew it. He was playing drums going like, like face the people, like give them what they want, you know? And I just remember being, Horrified, and you know, I was so uncool and so un-Nick, It's almost unbelievable that they let me do it. I I I have remember wearing like khaki cargo shorts and like a blue like baseball cap. Like Nick would have probably socked me if you saw what I was wearing. (laughs) 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 Um, But that so that that's that's one kind of like indelible. Moment, But I I mean, such crazy, wonderful things like uh, playing the underworld in London uh, was like the most one of the most astonishing audiences I've ever played for where it was just like pure energy, like front to back, a big packed crowd Um, playing in um, Japan. I know that, you know, I'm also not unique in finding Japan completely fascinating. And I know that a lot of artists that have toured, I'm sure a lot of the artists you've talked to in your show have brought up Japan. It's it's really it's a really beautiful and exciting place, and um, you know just a great opportunity to put the United States in perspective and to finally and you know fairly acknowledge that the United States is not the center of the world and that it is not the coolest place in the world necessarily, and so on and so forth. Um, but like I just have so many fond memories of like you know bouncing around in a bus with a bunch of stinky kids and you know surviving on five dollars a day per DM. We were very very broke. This is what you know. I think a lot of the you know a lot of the um, the fans and followers of the of the the band tend to sort of glorify the artist. Some of the times uh, we didn't have shit. We we were broke. We were stinky. We ate like shit. Like, you know, we were struggling. We were like, you know, um, we were struggling. But um, yeah, I don't I, I can't really think of anything in particular beyond those kind of key points. But, you know, just the general memory of just driving ourselves around, like in hindsight, thinking back about being, you know, 19 years old and driving all over the country with a trailer and a van just seems like a bad idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Well, and it's I, like, I think it's, I think it's really funny. And like, you know, you and I are, you know, of a certain age at this point, like, you know, we're not like yeah. old people, you know, like old, old, but we're certainly not spring chickens, you know, uh, but we've been doing this for a while now. Mm-hmm. And we both understand what it means to go out on the road without a cell yeah. phone without a fucking you know laptop you know we we know what it's like to have to literally pull out a map and just be like oh shit is that oh fuck we missed the turn you know yeah like that's a real problem that you had to deal with often (laughs) and and, yeah you know like we didn't have venmo you know like you know what i mean like so yeah and i'm not trying i'm not trying to allude to any kind of thing it's like oh like people have it so good these days it's like no they still have it tough like touring's still hard like as i'm you know i i You know, I'll get to what you've been doing more recently in a bit, but the the I think you're totally right. Like, it it is this like kind of a illusion that people tend to think about, or I don't know, like they they get kind of blinded by this illusion of like what it is to be in a band and like go touring, and it's like, dude, it's actually really hard. Like, it's fun, like it's very fun, but with that comes these ten hour drives, like that happen. All the time and then you're hurrying up and waiting and then you're doing check, and you're loading in you're loading out um yeah yeah and uh I, but you know I, I appreciate you like at least trying to give me some perspective because um I, I i've heard a lot of your stories um and i'm sure you have like a million of them but um but yeah man i with with link 80 like there's a, there's also another um blast bandits connection because barry ended up joining up with link 80 after mm-hmm. the fact so that It's kind yeah. of like, um, I don't know, like, I, I, I just think that that kind of speaks to the, the community aspect of, like, these bands, like, back then, how, you know, Link 80 and Blast Bandits Connection, like, isn't um, a unique thing. Like, there's been other bands where it's, like, you know, they've pulled from, you know, various yeah. bands and, and whatnot. I did want to ask you, like, with, with regards to now becoming what at that point would have been, I think, technically the fourth singer for Link 80, because there was Jeff Akery and then Nick and then Stoney. Yep and then Mm -hmm. you um i mean at that point since they had been through a few singers maybe it wasn't as um negative of an out or um like maybe there wasn't as much negativity that came with it but did you face any like harsh criticism from people like like diehard like like dude you guys gotta give up you know like this isn't the same
0: you know um yeah. Yeah. There, there, there were people that uh, spoke along those lines and um, I, you know, I don't blame them. I like, all I can really say is that I was grateful for my opportunity. It was too cool and rare of an opportunity for me to pass up. I'm deeply, deeply grateful for that experience. Um, while at the same time, I acknowledge that I didn't have, you know, neither the, talent the voice the presence nor the you know the the weight of personality that nick trina had nor could anyone ever have that i mean he was a an absolute diamond just a one-of-a-kind person um so um i i, I do remember on that on that first tour one kid uh we had played a, at the a show at the ventura theater in southern california And uh, this kid came up to me and he was like, Nick, that was so sick, man. Awesome show, Nick. And he did not know. He did not know. As far as he was concerned, I was Nick. And that was that. So like that happened a couple of times. And then, you know, we were also fortunate enough to have lived in the pre-Twitter universe where I'm sure we would have heard a lot more about it had people the platform to do so but we did, I did hear plenty of times and there's no doubt in my, my mind that whether they admit it or not, I know the guys in the band had their own doubts too, that they were just like, is this the thing, you know, is it, is it still the thing? And, you know, um, I, like I said, I acknowledged that I could never be that, but it was just, I, it was too cool an opportunity. I had to do it. And I did it as best as I could. And, you know, I, 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 I'm just grateful for the opportunity, even though there were haters. I understand, you know, I totally, totally get it.
1: For sure. But, but I think that, yeah, I, I think that, that was to be expected, you know, I, with, um, yeah. with Tsunami Bomb, like that's something that we have had to address <laughs> um, a, a few times. And I mean, um, you know, most people um, that, that address that elephant in the room, Um, usually it's, it's just a matter of kind of just saying, yeah, like we get it. Like, you know, you like this version of Tsunami Bomb, um, and you're not super keen on this version. Um, and that's okay, but this is what we are, you know, and we, we hope that you're along with us for the ride. And, you know, like, it's, it's not a matter of being offended. It's just a matter of being like, okay, we, we get it. Like, we understand.
2: Yeah.
0: Ultimately, I I feel like, you know, history will dictate what was the definitive, you know, form of any, you know, mutating band, you know, um, and that is also going to vary from person to person. Cause I, you know, I, I know that there are a handful of people out there that will say that, you know, tsunami bomb with like Andy is like the shit. It's like way better than, before, but then other people are going to be like, I like it the way it was before. And same thing with Link Eighty. You know, like there are a handful of people that I I know that still like the struggle continues, and the you know the uh, which was the uh, the album that I was in, involved with. Um, some people feel it, and you know most most people, and I am on. I'm also in this camp. Most people agree that Nick Trana is the definitive aspect of link 80 you know uh he he's the there was jeff Acrey, yes there was stony and there was me but if you think link 80 you should be thinking nick and joey and aaron and matt that that's link 80. right
1: right i mean and and in a lot of ways that makes perfect sense but i'm i'm definitely on the camp that believes that you can like two things equally you know because for there sure, is yeah. room in this world to feel that way about things okay. it doesn't have to be so black and white um for sure but but i definitely understand where you're coming from um to to kind of move uh, forward you know so link 80 eventually decided to to call it a day um mm-hmm. and effectively transitioned to desa mm-hmm. because um if memory serves um and correct me if i'm wrong Basically, at that point, Steve had had an opportunity to join RX Bandits, correct? That's correct. Right. And so you you really had lost your other horn player at that point. Because I think at that point, it was down to Aaron and Steve as yeah. the horns. So now you were down to only one horn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on top of that, um, and I'd love to hear your take on this. Sure. isn't it like you guys just kind of felt like it had kind of run its course and that you kind of wanted to just move on to try new things and new music? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, and, you know, bear, bear in mind and that, you know, this a- a- applies this whole conversation, obviously, this is all through the filter of my experience. Cause I, I know it must've felt very different for Aaron and Joey and Adam Davis and all that, all that squad, because they had experienced Nick, they had experienced Jeff Akery, they'd experienced the whole thing so for them it must have felt like it was like getting out into obscure territory like what even are we doing you know nobody in the like hardly anybody in the people are like leaving the band and we're getting new people and it's like what are we doing plus I think on top of that um if my memory serves we were all just getting a little bit played out with scott Mm-hmm. You know, there there was a lot of bands doing it really really well, and you know, like you know, particularly you know, RX RX Bandits might be, in my opinion, like the best example of like take take ska, turn it into something that's way bigger and better, but that has some like you know upstrokes on the guitar and horns as a part of the structure, but it where it's not just like two tone, pick it up, hop hop, you know and pork pie hats and all that you know they they kind of they allowed it to mutate into something bigger and badder and i think that our personal musical interests were starting to change also we were really getting into like the sort of like um i don't even know how to describe it sort of like post hardcore kind of like alternative emo-ish kind of like you know refuse and at the drive-in and you know um just like things along those, those lines, heavier, heavier music. And, um, you know, I think we all stayed interested in ska, but we were more interested in the, in the classic side of it, you know, whereas like, you know, all, all the way up to about like the suicide machines. So like, you know, but mainly like Scatolites, Specials, Operation Ivy, like that was almost enough ska for us at the time. We had been swimming in it. There were so many ska, ska bands and, you know, it had been tried to be done so many ways, you know, and um, shout out to all the great ska bands that, you know, continue to do it well, like, you know, Hep Hepcat and Less Than Jake. And the, there was like a lot of bands that kept on doing it and kept on crushing. Um, but um, we were just ready to move on and do something else. You know, we we wanted to get heavier weirder we want to start throwing some math into the mix like the the the, the very last link 80 songs that we that we wrote some of those be- became desa songs and they were like you know um just songs that like you know some of them were riffs that i had written some of them were riffs that kind of like adam had written and uh aaron nagel uh started playing guitar which w- was new to him Like he barely knew how to play, but then he, he got really good, really fast, which if you know, Aaron Nagel is not surprising at all because he's one of these, you know, freaks of nature in terms of like self-determination. Like I can hardly think of a better self, a better example of self-determination than Aaron. Because he like, you know, was skinny is now buff. Like painted like kind of good. Now he paints like world-class oil portraits. Like, you know, he, if he when, when he puts his mind to something, he takes off and kills it, which is what he did with guitar. And, uh, you know, he didn't like play around, like he got, he got like, a, he got like a custom shop Gibson Les Paul and a Mesa amp. He's like, I'm not fucking around here. Like, <laughs> you know, um, but so we all learned how to do that together. And we just started like building this new style that was basically like the last version of link 80 sort of spinning into a new thing. And, you know, um so that was it steve went on to rx bandits a great uh had great success there and they were you know god were they good they they still are but at in that in that moment they were really something the like even some of the stuff on progress but in particular like the resignation i mean like very few, very few bands that came from the skull world can touch them in terms of talent, range, vision, uh, just positive energy, honesty, down to earthness. Like, so we, we, we were all very stoked for Steve to go down that, that, that road because he is that too. He very much belonged on that, on that team. And we just started trying to get, you know, we started Dessa, we started just getting heavy and weird and, you know that was, that was that I, you know, I like discovered at the drive-in and I was just, and pretty much it was like at the drive-in and refused were kind of like the template in my mind. I can like going, going back in time now, I can, I can see that that's where my mind was. And, um, some other stuff, like, I know we we were listening a lot to Mr. Bungle in particular, the Cal, oh God, the, um, Uh, California album and we just loved the the weirdness the unpredictability the like herky-jerky changes and stops and you know I think we were all just wanted to bust out of the ska suit we wanted to like tear it off you know and like just become become something else so that's kind of what happened with the transition to Dessa.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if anyone hasn't anyone listening to this has not listened to Desa, there are recordings available, and I'll add links to it. Um, I freaking loved what you guys were doing. I thought Dessa was great, and I I honestly thought Dessa was going to go a lot further than it did. And I know that you know you guys had a lot of ambitions to to keep that band kind of going in that upward direction. Did um, yeah, yeah? It if memory serves, like I I uh, I think at a certain point didn't didn't Joey end up going and starting to play with Streets to Nowhere. Um, yeah. And so you ended up having another drummer come in for like mm-hmm.
0: the last, like what, year or so? Last year year or so, yeah. Uh, yeah. His name was uh, Stephen Heat, um, yeah. one of the greatest drummers I've ever had the pleasure of playing with. And I'm not, that's not lip service at all. And I, I, I know that the guys in Dessa will vouch too. When he came to practice, he was from Hawaii. We had a mutual friend named Ashley Rose that was originally a journalist that we had met down in Southern California, but she developed a re- relationship with Aaron. I, th- I think they were, you know, friends with like maybe a smattering of romance. I don't know, and I won't comment on that. But um, but she licked us up with Stephen, and he was from Hawaii. He was working at a cafe in halaiva and surfing all day, and just playing drums nonstop. He was a huge John Theodore fan um, uh, of the Mars Volta and Queens of the Stone Age and many other bands. Um, drummers know who the fuck John is for sure. But, um, but he was kind of like a burgeoning John Theodore type, big, strong guy. He had a big acrylic vista light kit and he like brought it to California and played these like four desa songs that we sent to him and we were just like holy shit like we are going to be so much better now you know no offense to joey because the you know joey has his own style of playing that no one else does exactly like that and he still he still does have have that and he's he's gone through the full gauntlet of like abuse from band members about like you need to practice more and you need to do like you know and i personally am over that conversation now i haven't said that to joey in a long long time um it's just a different style it's just a completely different style joey's tight and clean and he's got personality for fucking days and that's why people like him you know but steven was just an entirely different beat. He, he was just like in terms of just talent practice he did actually have uh in uh academic background hmm. he had taken like music classes he'd studied in college he'd played in big big band he studied like notation and jazz so like he knew what he was doing hmm. um and it was uh, just a really a fun pleasure playing with playing with steven
1: yeah no i i i was super stoked every time i got a chance to see you
0: guys and like when
1: you you guys were turning out a lot of good content i remember i remember there was a time where you were releasing eps very often <laughs> And that yeah. was kind of something that a lot of bands weren't doing at the time. And it, mm-hmm. it seemed like you were trying to get a little ahead of the curve on that. Um, yeah. like I, I if, memory, if memory serves, wasn't there like somebody you were kind of working with as like a, either a manager or a producer who kind of like was nudging you to do that?
0: Well, there was, you know, there was, uh, I'm kind of going back in my mind now trying to remember how it went, how it went down, but we had, um, a little hot second where we got, um, affiliated with um a label called sergeant house which was right. run out of uh southern southern california uh they had just started working with rx bandits and um was a really cool manager by the name of kathy Pello. um and so she sort of adopted us sight unseen like she liked the demos and i would imagine i don't know for i i don't know specifically but i imagine somebody from the RXB camp probably vouched for us
2: Hmm.
0: and, you know, and said like, check these guys out. So she was stoked and signed us, but it didn't really last. I don't think she was ultimately a big fan of the band when she saw us play, play live, which is totally fair. Um, but so that, the wheels came off that, but we had a lot of creative energy built up because we really wanted to like, we really wanted to blow up, um, the next phase of our, our band so we we had a bunch of great material um that or the material that we were very proud of at the time that was supposed to go into this like sergeant house machine mm. um but it never really got to that that point so we were just like well hell let's just do it on our on our own and you know let's make these songs as you know crispy and crunchy as we can and just do it DIY and this was even before the days of band Bandcamp, camp or maybe the very early early days of Bandcamp. we were ha- we were like pr- making the cds ourselves and I was like hand screen printing covers and I know Adam was involved in that it, w- it was very DIY which is kind of weird to like think that you know it obviously it was a long time ago but at, at the time it felt like that was a we had come a long way from the days of the blast bandits and, you know, making Kinko's cassette covers and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, We thought we were a pretty advanced band. We had toured with link 80 and all this stuff. So, um, but here we were DIY with no label, just hand making our own shit. And like, you know, we did have, we did have a website. So we were, you know, so yeah, I mean, the internet was starting to pop off by that time for sure. Right. Um, so we were selling EPs for five bucks online and doing mail order and selling them at shows. And, you know, and I think now we ultimately ended up producing three EPs toward the end, uh, which fortunately are now available. They're, they're all uh, Adam, uh, Adam Davis, shout out at Adam D. I love you very much. Um, he put a lot of work into that and made that um, music available he designed covers that have, you know, they're like pretty down to earth um, photographs of Oakland.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and uh, it's just the I, that I, I think out of the whole the whole gamut of work that I did with all those guys from Link 80. I would say at this point in time, those three Dessa e- EPs are what I'm the most proud of. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the that's the that's the most advanced music that I'd ever been a part of. Um, I really liked the recordings and, you know, I could of course imagine them being better and I would have loved it if they were more successful, but you know um, in uh, hindsight, I'm very, very proud of that work.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I, um, again, like I've always been super stoked on your creative output and like the, the fact that you guys were able to take that band and completely kind of reimagine it, into something else that was so far removed from what it Mm. had been. I mean, like the only real similarity is just like some heavy guitars and drums really, you know? Um, But I thought that was great. And then going even a step further um, you and Joey ended up like years later. uh, Well, maybe, maybe not too far afterwards, but at least a couple of years later ended Mm -hmm. up, starting this this new band called the soft White 60s which if yeah. if if nobody's checked out the soft White 60s i will add a link to it excellent excellent band and again like another departure just complete departure from what yeah. they've been doing prior to that um let's talk a little bit about that so what was sure. like kind of like the 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 starting point for soft White 60s and and where is it at right now
0: yeah um so um uh... Software sixties was something that happened. Um, it didn't, well, it didn't have a name at the time, but, uh, I hadn't seen Joey in a while. He'd been playing with streets of nowhere and I had been doing Desa, and we just, we were still buddies, of course, and would text and call every now and then, but I didn't see him for a good, a good while. And I remember it was his 30th birthday. Um, which would, I guess would have made it 2010 ish.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but it must've been before that. Uh, Anyhow, um, I linked up with with Joey. Uh, he's like, I'm out here at the uh, was a, what? One of those bars down in on uh, San Pablo Avenue in Ashkenaz or Albany. No, I was in Albany down there.
1: Uh, was it the Mallard it or Tati um, Totsi? Mallard. There's the Mallard. Uh, Mallard. The Mallard.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: Yep. Yeah, we were, yeah, uh, we were upstairs at the mallard and I remember catching up with uh, Joey and I was like, what have you been up to, man? He's like, man, I met these, he's like, I met these guys. Like I met these two guys and like the singer and a guitar player and they write songs together. And he's like, they are so good. And he told me the story of that. He was at a, I believe a house party in San Francisco and he heard, um, Octavio, who is this the lead singer of the soft white 60s, um, he had just moved to the Bay Area and he heard him performing in the, in, in the corner, was playing acoustic guitar and singing with his friend uh, Aaron, um, Aaron Ferguson. And they were and Joey was like, the story goes and, you know, maybe Joey will be on your podcast one day and you can, can, can confirm this with him. The way I heard heard the story, which Octavio has confirmed, Joey walked up to them, in his brash Joey style, and said, "You guys sound fucking great. I'm gonna be the drummer in your band. (laughs) We're gonna start a band, and we're gonna be huge." Yeah. (laughs) And like you know, according to Octavio, he was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" (laughs) I'm Joey Bustos. You know, (laughs) know, like in his like totally confident way. Like how? Yeah, exactly. you should know who I am, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but um, Joey said, we need a, we need a bass player. And you, I know you rule a bass, so you should borrow a, a bass. I didn't even own a bass at that time. He said you should borrow a bass and come jam with, with us. He's like, just think like Rolling Stones, think Tom Petty, think like the Kinks and like, it's, retro you know what i mean it's 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 more like throw like throwback classic vintage like soul inspired rock and i was like that does sound kind of cool and you know dessa was kind of bored at that time we were like the wheels were starting to come off i think stephen was going to move back to southern california barry had already left the band and moved on so i was like yeah you know what fuck it i'll link up with these these guys and i just liked their style and like um as anybody who's heard the band knows, or if you haven't checked the check the band out, um, Octavio has a really special voice. A really distinctive, just kind of like raspy, almost like Rod Stewart, kind of cool, scratchy sound of his voice. Um, and they just had great tunes. Uh, Aaron... Ferguson was his co-writer at the time. He ended up not being in the band very long, but they, they did really great stuff together. And they were like, they were writing just cool, cool stuff. And I, you know, like so many times in my life uh, needed a change. And I was like, I was ready to try something new. Um, I, borrowed, uh, I borrowed a bass from Heidi and I just went to jam with them. And um, it was super fun. I really, I really liked it. And I was like, it re, it reminded me of the kind of music that I used to listen to around the house when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in a sense, that's my excuse for sort of like abandoning heavy music. Um, but at the same time, it was very refreshing to me at the time to be doing that. It felt cool and it felt new. And I was just ready to try something new. And I was like, Oh, so you, you, you want to write some like, Tom Petty, Otis Redding kind of stuff. Like I could really get into that. Like, cause I, I like and love that kind of music, like sort of like classic, like classic rock and Motown. And like, I I was like really stoked to try to start getting in, getting, getting into that. And I, you know, was playing bass with Joey on drums. That was like so fun. That was instantly fun because we knew each other so so well that the rapport and the ability to communicate without saying anything like was almost kind of magical in a in a way but you know really it's not magic it's just earned through years of being brothers with somebody like you just you know like we would be playing and he would do a fill and like stick it perfectly. And I'll just turn to him and just go, ah you know, and he would just look at me like, fuck yeah, I got, you know. And also when it didn't go right, like there was this, um, you know, one of the little sort of secret tricks that I would do that only he knows is I would, um, if I would fuck up a part live and this is in like early days of the soft white sixties. Um, if I'd fuck up a part live, I would do it again the next time around intentionally, just for for him,
2: yeah. you know, just to
0: sort of <laughs> just to sort of like make him laugh. Because you know, like one thing many years of experience of playing in a band has taught me is that a lot of times you are very critical about your performance, and the people in the crowd have no idea. Like you landed a you know, a full step flat and then you slid up and caught up to it. Like, you know, who noticed that? Almost nobody. Mm -hmm. Maybe like the guy who is like a big bass player fan who's like in the front, front row. Everyone else has no idea. So like basically Joey and I have this, this really fun like visual language and just a really fun um, connection that, um, that we share. So the short of it is that the soft white 60s were super fun i was really excited about the prospect of trying something completely new and uh i rolled with that
1: yeah that's cool i mean that's and you guys amazing. went on to do a lot of great stuff i mean i know that you guys got to play at outside lands yeah. uh at, I, at least once was it twice
0: uh we played it once
1: okay yeah but i mean yeah. but you guys did uh, a bunch of touring on your own and i think you've released like what like an EP and two full lengths or something like that. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and is the band still technically together or.
0: The band is technically together. Like um, we haven't had any conversations to the contrary. It's just that, um, you know, we are, we have been subjected to the same bullshit that all other bands have been subjected to. Um, And I think there was also like a lot of personal stuff going on in everybody's lives that we just were pursuing in our own ways. Like, um, uh, octavio and his uh now wife melanie they kind of had a cool thing going on because uh melanie got signed on she's an actor and she got this really great gig working out of um vancouver canada and so there was a magnetic pull for him to go up there to be with her um uh which is a smart move for him because She is awesome. They are awesome together. They're about to start a family. I know they're expecting. So congrats Mel and Tavi, I miss you
2: guys. (laughs)
0: Um, But yeah, um, everyone's doing their their, their own thing at the moment. Uh, Aaron is really crushing in his own way. He's got um, a production company that he and his wife just started. Uh, He's producing music videos and they're um, doing all kinds of interesting work. Uh, Joey's living in the Bay Area well, with his lovely girlfriend and, um, uh, shout out Alyssa Madden (laughs) and there, uh, yeah, there he's working and handling his business and I'm doing the same down, down here. So I'm, I'm confident that there will be a day. I actually am going to be getting my, uh, vaccine on Thursday. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to starting to, you know, gradually incorporate back to, uh, you know, some kind of sense of, normalcy but i'm looking forward to getting back with those guys and uh, playing some of those tunes again for sure awesome i believe we have not played our last show for sure
1: <laughs> that's that's great because I, I i love you guys i i've seen you guys many times and uh if and Thanks, when man. shows do come back if you guys are playing shows i would highly recommend that anyone everyone go check these guys out because they're badass thank you brother yeah um yeah i wanted to ask you briefly about like your your lyric writing you know because mm-hmm you've written some of my favorite lyrics, man, like, hands (laughs) down. And, you know, um, like, you know, as somebody who, like, I struggle with writing lyrics. um, Mm -hmm. And I know that it's just a muscle that you have to work and like, you have to exercise it and you just have to practice, you know. But, you know, you, I know, are like a well, like, you're a very well read person, you know, and I know that you've written like a lot of poetry and stuff. But um, like, is there like a specific I guess, process that you have in terms of like when you write the lyrics to a song?
2: Mm, um,
0: it's a difficult question. I think uh, you know most lyricists will confirm that it's not usually the same recipe. Sure. Um, sure. If you are one of those artists that has a, uh, a workflow that you can turn on all the switches and start to generate stuff, like that's really fortunate and very cool. Um, but for for me I think it does I think it does vary and but one one thing that I think that a common thread that runs through all of you know what I would consider my my better lyrics or like my more realized lyrics and like structures are that they start from a place of emotion they start it starts from um a real and actual thing you're feeling. I think that um, when, if I'm trying to write something and I don't, I'm not feeling anything emotionally, then I'm not a good lyricist. You know, it's I personally believe that when you have something to say that's driving you crazy, or that you want to go sing on a mountaintop, or that you want to like punch your fist through a wall and like you can't believe that you have to deal with it that's a great time to write because you know um, yeah. And so in, I believe that my, my process is just a result of, you know, having read a whole bunch, I think getting into uh, poetry as a teenager sort of changed my perspective about um, what words could do and what words could, could be And, you know, sort of trying to steer away from being generic, like, or from being overly simplified. And don't get me wrong, there is a beauty to simplicity for sure. Like, you know, like the same, like, similar to like constructing a bonsai tree or something. Like, you can do it sloppy, you can do it, or you can do it really beautifully. Like, so, you know, like, think of those old like Motown songs that like, you know, I've got a woman way over town. She's good to me. Like, that's not really deep, but the lyrics are good because they have rhythm. It's, you know, there are different aspects of lyrics that can make it good. It's the voice. It's the, like the timbre, the rhythm, the music behind it, the message and the, um, Originality of the words, so um, I think that the 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 challenge, the name of the game, is getting those aspects to all dance together. Um, whereas, uh, I and I always enjoy trying to take a little bit of a chance with, uh, like, sort of putting out a lyric that I'm not totally comfortable with, or putting something that's like a little, you know, um, specific, like. I, um, for, for instance, to, uh, to conjure my buddy Octavio from the soft white sixties, there's this one line that he, he wrote that he, he knows how I, I feel about it. But, it's, um, one of our songs where he's talking about, uh, how lonely he is at home and he's like living in an apartment by himself. And he kind of was like, there's gotta be something bigger and better than, than this, like this kind of sucks. And one of the ways that he captures that feeling is he says, he conjures this image of beans in a bowl and rice on a plate. And it's like this very plain thing that he's eating, but it sort of conveys that like, I, there's better food out there than this. I don't have to eat beans and rice. Like there's like, you know, like that kind of thing where you take, you take a a big deep feeling and you sort of like pack it into a little pill. Hmm when you take that little pill, you're like, I know that feeling. Hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have any advice for people who want to write lyrics, except for just to, you know, tell the truth about how you feel and take some, take some chances in the way you say it. Um, But because um, telling the, telling the, telling the truth through music is a, difficult thing to do because in order to do that you have to admit that you are feeling a certain way. And so like if you're upset with somebody and you write a song about them they have to hear it. They have to they have to deal with it and you know um but I think that that's what that's what that's what music is for. That's what art is art is for. It's to help, you know, it's to help you the writer process feelings, it's to help the you know the person who's um, consuming your work, the person who's experiencing your your work, uh, like give uh, giving them an opportunity to share in what you're feeling. You know, none of these are original thoughts, but that that's just the truth of it. It's you know, tell tell the tell the truth in an interesting way.
1: I think that's great. Yeah, and I, you know, re- really. Um, I think I I I wanted to ask you that like not so much to get like I guess any advice that you might give but oh sure yeah but just to kind of hear like I guess a bit about your perspective about like what it is to to write lyrics so so I appreciate that because I think that's a a wonderful way to approach it Um, and I think it says a lot about like the way that you have written lyrics Um, because I mean you know shit dude I, I know that we've had Great, great conversations about like songs that we've listened to and like dissected yeah, them and like for like, sure. Understanding like the power of words is is a is a big part of that. And like understanding it's like you can do a lot with the words that are in front of you. Like you don't they don't have to be like the quote unquote most grandiose, like thesaurus written lyrics in the world. No, they can be not, plain, not at all. but but put in the right context the right way with the right accompanying music with the right rhythms and everything you've got a beautiful thing yeah so yeah. I think that's great um well hey man I, this has all been really awesome um you know I want to move on to the last couple of questions that I have sure. for you and I know I gave you a little bit of a heads up with this but you know the first one and I asked this of everyone is who are some bands or some artists that are are on your radar that you think should be on other people's radars?
0: Yeah, um, this is a really fun question because, um, you know, I uh, have stayed engaged with um, music, uh, even at the, you know, ripe old age of 41, which is young to some people and very old to other people. Um, but I have stayed engaged and uh yeah there's a lot of stuff I love I'm always finding out about stuff from the past and the present that I am very interested in and um actually wrote some stuff down so let me (laughs) refer to this but um um, so I'm going to start by sharing a couple of artists that I sort of know personally and sort of use as a platform to shout shout them out but these are also artists that I really believe in and love and uh you know want bigger and better things for but um The first band I want to talk about is uh, a band from Oakland called B. Hamilton. Um, It's uh, fronted by um, a really fine gentleman by the name of Ryan Parks. Um, And I met him through some mutual friends. Um, When I was uh, uh, recently divorced and I was very kind of struggling emotionally, my my roommate at the time, uh, Jesse Phillips said, you should go to a B Hamilton show. There's a lot of cute girls there. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready to meet anybody, but I went to, but I went to see them play at a house party in Oakland and it like blew my goddamn feathers back. And I was (laughs) like, wow, these guys are so good. It was just very emotional, visceral, powerful, like, I, and it was a really loud and sort of like the sound wasn't very good, but the lyrics are so good and um, just very real and honest. And, you know, like we all have our own equipment to judge what is good and what is right and what sounds and feels good. And that's going to vary from person to person. When I, when I heard B Hamilton, I was like, this is an authentic person. This is a, this is a person bleeding into their microphone like the, the, putting it all out there like the anger the rage the like you know self-control lack of self-control like all all these beautiful things and um uh really cannot say enough about them uh check out b hamilton if you haven't heard um there's a song they, they have a song called gold tooth that i is one of my all-time favorites uh it's really beautiful so check them out um also the 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 band that I had mentioned earlier that I just started playing with uh, my buddy's name, uh, Evan mile, it's M uh, Y A L L is his last name. And uh, he, I'm a huge fan. I feel really grateful to be able to jam with this guy, but um, he also writes very smooth, beautiful kind of psychedelic um, indie rock. And uh, also very good lyrics, beautiful song structure, great, um, just great vibe and feel. And he has a song called forever mind that I would recommend um, forever mind by Evan mile. Um, and then uh, yeah, there's just, there's just a couple other people here in LA that I love and believe in. Uh, one is my buddy, Greg Bernal. You can check him out on Spotify and uh, he is just, he's just a multi-talented person. Uh, he's a, uh, painter and a writer he's a he composes film and tv scores and he just ultimately writes really beautiful music Uh, i'm a fan and a friend and it's really one of those things where i sometimes get to make him play the songs for me when we hang out Uh, like when we it's when we kind of drink and sort of stay up a little too too late and i'll pull the guitar out and sort of make sure he gets it and you know put him on the spot but he he writes really beautiful songs so check out greg Bernal um there is another friend of mine Julia that lives here in LA and she has a project called Ron Ron Boy which I don't know if it's named after this but Ron Boy is the name of the debaucherous club from um HBO show that's not gonna come to my mind right now but any succession okay you've seen the tv show succession there's a debaucherous club called Ron Boy anyway um My friend Julia is the uh, singer and mastermind behind that band. And she just has an astonishingly cool voice and writes really beautiful songs. And uh, I would recommend you check out Ron Boy. And then um, two, two other people I I wanted to shout out that are not musical artists, but that they are um, artists in other mediums. One is um, an acquaintance and friend of mine by the name of Daniel Healy. Uh, He is a visual artist. Artist who's doing some really interesting work. Um, he his technique of making art is just really interesting and it's different. He does things un- unlike anybody else I've ever seen. He does these uh, Scotch tape transfers where he like pulls images out with Scotch tape and then builds these insane co- like collage drawings with them. Um, he's just doing some very interesting work. Uh, you can check him out on Instagram at to the invisible. Uh, but also look him up Daniel Healy. And then one more person I want to shout out is a photographer that I'm a big fan of. Um, some of the work that I've been doing to make money is to work as a production assistant and sometimes a photo assistant on um, editorial shoots and ads and things like that. And uh, this photographer by the name of Michelle Groskopf um, is doing some really, really beautiful work. And she I think got her start as a, a street photographer in the Venice area. So she would kind of like roll around the Venice um, boardwalk area, which for anybody who's been there is a wild place to view humanity because there's the entire range of like the heart the people with the the worst situations and the people with the best situations sharing the same space. It's a very interesting place. Lots of weirdos and kooks and kids and, You know, and so she started by, you know, photographing them, but now she's doing like astonishing work. She's shooting for the New York Times or the Smithsonian, and she's really crushing beautiful work. Check out Michelle Grosskopf if you're into uh, like street style photography. And uh, those are my shout outs.
1: That's great. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely provide uh, whatever links I can get for them um, in the liner notes and whatnot. Um, and I, I'm glad that you, uh, included some visual artists, you know, cause I mean, I, I leave it open to interpretation. I mean, if you want to keep it at music, you can, if you want to keep it to any kind of art medium is right. concerned. So I appreciate that. Um, but you know, the, the last question I have, and I know that people either love or hate this question, um, is if you, if you could only listen to five records for the rest of your life, what would they be?
0: Yeah. Um, I put a lot of thought into, into this and I really, harangued my lovely fiance Carrie with uh, questions like should I like you know and I I had all kinds of wacky ideas one one thought was that well I should pick stuff that I haven't heard before then I can get to get to know it you know and like and I was like well I would have like some like blue note jazz box set with like you know 20 albums and she's like Ryan that's not the question like you can't you know (laughs) like we're not asking what 20 album compilation would you listen to you know but which was a fair point. So I, de- I decided to rope it in and just answer simply um, five records that I love that I think have changed my life and perspective and uh, ones that I can listen to over and over again. I'm going to hit you with them right now. So uh, one of them is uh, rubber soul by the Beatles. Um, I'm sure the Beatles are in a lot of people's top, top five. And for me, it's Rubber Soul was the record that where I sort of had my Beatles break through and I was because I was really trying to write songs at that time and I was like these guys are just the best at writing songs. So the Beatles, Rubber Soul, I'm still haven't gotten tired of it to this day. I I can listen to it all the time. I love it. Uh, The next album is uh, 20 All-Time Greatest Hits by James Brown. Uh, he has a lot of different records, but the greatest hits has all the ones that I love the most. Uh, like get up off of that thing and sex machine and the big payback and so on and so forth. I just love James Brown so much. He's the epitome of just pure funk and feeling and vibe and you know, like take that like poetry and throw it the fuck out the door. We like it's it's a it's a place where like, Academic, like lyrics, like don't make a lick of difference because he's busy getting the fuck down. That's what I love about James James Brown, and so I think we could all take a little key for you know, take a little cue from from, from that. Um, so James James Brown. Um,
1: funny funny story about yeah. James Brown actually is um, when when I was in uh, the band California Redemption and we mm-hmm. would tour. Um we actually listened to a lot of James Brown in between mm. like shows like oh, yeah. like we we would probably listen to James Brown every day.
0: Yeah. I mean really just cuz it was it's yeah. just good. Yeah. It's so upbeat and yeah. just like he's going to have a good time <laughs> and you're welcome to jump on but um doesn't matter if you do or not because he's getting he's getting down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> or you know yeah james james brown you know rest in peace no one can really touch him as as far as energy and vibe and you know like one of the greatest front front men of all time anyways uh moving along um i have to go with at least one heavy one so i'm going to go with uh metallica and justice for all and i know that Metallica, um, a lot of people that were into like punk and heavy music, probably will shout out Metallica too. For me, it was justice for all that, that was the one that I studied that I discovered. And, you know, I found it, you know, obviously I became a big fan of master of puppets and ride the lightning and kill Them all later on. But I discovered those after that. So for me, justice for all kind of really sealed the deal that I'm into heavy music. I like metal. I like heavy hard music. Metallica was the band that really did that for me. Um, and then the other, the fifth or the fourth one w- is uh, Tom Petty's Greatest Hits album. Um, he's somebody that I listened to a lot as a kid because my family was really into him. Um, to, to to say that my family was into Tom Petty would, would be an understatement. He was a huge deal, and we listened to him all the time. And they took me to see him play when I was a little kid. And uh, he's just kind of more than any other artist. I think Tom Petty is woven into the fabric of my life Um, because he i listened to him literally in the womb, as I understand. (laughs) And and then shortly thereafter, Tom Petty. And then when I was in kindergarten, Tom Petty. And then, you know, so I I've just been exposed to him a lot. I'm a gigantic, gigantic fan, not just for nostalgic reasons. Also, as a songwriter, I just admire his work so much, and I just like how he rolls. And he doesn't—he's kind of a punk rock dude for being kind of an a sort of Americana type artist. Like he stood up to Ticketmaster and made sure that they weren't, you know, homering his fans for you know that 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 kind of thing. Um. He always stood stood up for his his rights. My dogs are barking. That's fine. Um, um, And then my fifth and final offering is probably my favorite of all records. And it is Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder. Uh, That is um, Stevie. Stevie Wonder is the hands down the greatest live performance that I have been fortunate enough to witness. And if you have spent any time with me at all, you've heard me gush about my Stevie Wonder show experience, but it was um, just an astonishing display of just just human ability. And not not only that, not only the the talent, but just I was at such a difficult emotional place in my life, and it his music addressed all of those things that I was feeling. This the the tour that I saw him play was he was playing songs in the key of life all the way through. Mm. So uh, it, it's an album that came out, I believe in 1976. I uh, hope I'm right about that. And um, it's a double album. So it's, it's a lot of music and a lot of range. I like an, an incredible amount of an incredible range of style and um, vibe and Stevie wonder played like so many different instruments on it. He played drums and guitar and piano and all kinds of, you know, he, he, played a lot of the music on there and it just, it's all through this filter of love. It's all coming through this place of positivity and um, this sort of upbeat hopefulness that I will, that inspired me so much. It just sort of matched what I felt like my heart was looking for. And it, I sort of, carry that experience of seeing Stevie Wonder play that, play those songs as kind of what kind of artist I would like to be. You know, I don't want to, um, I just, I, I, I want to be a compassionate artist. I want to be, um, I, I, I want to be an agent of good. And I want to be an agent of positivity. I want to have, I want to be an under an understanding force that is, you know, patient and peaceful and, you know, and also just knows how to like rock the fuck out and have a great time. So um, for that reason, Stevie Wonder is my number one.
1: I dig it. I think that's a great list, man. Like it makes a lot of sense, yeah. like knowing what I know about you. I mean, Tom Petty, I knew had to be on there, you know? I mean, it's yeah, when, when, he, when he unfortunately passed away, like actually your, your family came to mind, yeah. Oh wow! So I, yeah, I knew of I knew of like the the impact that that must have had, especially on like your dad and your mom. So, yeah, yeah. But I, that's a great list, dude. Um, wonderful, wonderful fucking musicians there, and wonderful albums. So, thank you. Um, thank you, Ryan Noble, friend of mine. I miss you, man. And I'm I'm really <laughs> glad too, to brother. have had you on here. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It was fun uh, cracking open all these old these old eggs. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But um but yeah I'll I'll leave links for everything. So if anyone wants wants to check out either your um your your old projects or any of the new stuff that you've got going on, it'll be there. Um once again, Ryan, thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure, pleasure. to talk to you, man.
0: All right, my man. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>